All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today on this uh, first Sunday of going into multiple services, and we want to give a shout out to those of you who are joining us online. Thanks to technology, we can be one church in multiple places, and we know we have some dream teamers here in the house, too, that are going to be uh, helping us serve at the next service, and we say thank you to you as well. And uh, if you want, you can check in on Facebook, share the video, let your friends and family know that you are worshiping here at Calvary, and uh, we are so excited. If you are new and have not filled out that connection card, we'd love for you to do that. Uh, leave it on the seat. Someone will collect it in just a few moments. And if you'd like, we would like, uh, my wife and I and some of the other team, we would love to meet you right out here on the other side of the Welcome Center. Love to meet you in person and give you a, a personal welcome. Well, last week we finished our series probably 22 weeks, if I calculated correctly, in the book of James. And uh, if you missed any of that, uh, all those sermons are online uh, or on the podcast. Be sure to check that out if you'd like to. But today we are going to begin a new series on the end times, uh, a series that we are going to call Tipping Point. And uh, in fact, Tipping Point is a book that was recently released by Pastor Jimmy Evans, and uh, Jimmy is a well-respected author and pastor. I've been reading from this book and another book um, called The Book of Signs by Dr. David Jeremiah. And uh, I highly recommend both of these books if you are interested in digging in that topic uh, further. They are going to help you uh, kind of decipher end times and, and, and uh, what the tribulation and all of that kind of stuff looks like. Ultimately, we look to God's Word for authority, right? For, for truth. And uh, what we want to do is we want to give you resources. I encourage you as your pastor to go get godly books, but make sure they align with the word of God. Because unintentionally, we can kind of get uh, maybe a, a wrong resources, and maybe it doesn't align with the principles that are found in God's Word. And so that's kind of a dangerous place to be. We don't want to veer off from the truths that are in God's Word, but we do want you to, to be resourced. So those are two books that I would recommend for you if you want to uh, dig in uh, further. But for me, the B-I-B-L-E Yes, that's, anybody from Sunday school remember that one? Yeah, yeah. That's the book for me, right? <laughs> so the reason Pastor Jimmy entitled his book Tipping Point is because our world has kind of reached a tipping point. You know, the moral decline and rejection of truth and unrighteousness and a nation rising against nation and, and unrighteousness has led our world to sort of a, a tipping point that is ushering in the end times and perhaps very soon the return of the Lord. Now, here's what we're not gonna do in this series. We are not gonna give you an exact date on when the return of the Lord is. Jesus himself said, no one knows the day or the hour. So if someone says, hey, I know the exact time and place and date, uh, you can pretty much guarantee that that's not when the Lord is gonna be coming back because Jesus himself doesn't even know. Only the Father knows when he is going to return. And a very popular question for years has been, hey, when are the end times gonna come? Are, are we in the end times? Have they already started? What about the tribulation? Are we gonna go through the tribulation? When's the tribulation gonna start? And, and sometimes that gets people worried and fearful about what's to happen. Meanwhile, other people haven't even given a thought to the end times and the tribulation, the idea that we could be approaching the return of the Lord. And there's extreme on both ends. Some people get so consumed with the little idiosyncrasies and they're looking for obscure passages at the expense of their personal relationship with the Lord. 
If you know what I'm saying, you know, he has come to give us life and life abundantly, but sometimes we can be so narrowly focused about learning little details in the, in the prophecy area. And this obsession comes at the expense of our daily walk with the Lord. Then others give no thought to the end times. Well, the generation before mine thought he was coming back then and generation, and he's still not here. So why should I worry about it? And I, I think that most people in America probably never give a thought to heaven or hell or the end times or when that's coming because we're kind of comfortable in our life, right? We kind of, we've got some, some uh, luxuries and we're kind of coasting on easy street and we never give a thought. Why would I need to think about eternity? I love my life down here. But both extremes carry with it some danger. And so I want to say up front, and we'll probably say this every week, you should plan and prepare as if the Lord is coming back in 50 years or even, even more. Live your life. Young people, get married. Have babies. Buy a house. Uh, save your money. Invest in your 401ks. You should, you should plan as if he's coming back in a long time, but you need to live as if he's coming back today. We want to be found ready. And truthfully, he could be coming back today. Before this sermon ends, he could come back. And over the next few weeks, we want to provide some answers to some of the questions that you might have concerning the end times. It is important that we have a working understanding of the end times. Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. So it's important that we have an understanding about the times that we are in. And as, as with everything, we look to God's word for the final authority, the ultimate authority on, on morality, salvation, on truth, and prophecy. You may not have known this, but about 30%, some, some say any, between, between seven, 27 and 33%, about 30% of the Bible is prophecy. Prophecy or prediction was one of the roles that the early prophets had. It was kind of one of the functions of the Bible prophets. And they would hear from the Spirit of God and, and write down what they were hearing from the Lord that would give them a glimpse into what is to come, that would give them a glimpse into the future. Daniel was one of these prophets. He was in Babylon. Uh, Israel had sinned so terribly bad that, that uh, God uprooted the people of Israel and moved them to Babylon, and, and Daniel was one of these prophets that moved as a young man into Babylon, and he served under, under several kings and rulers. Uh, this is the same Daniel, by the way, that wrote about his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that were thrown into the fiery furnace and didn't even smell the smoke. Same Daniel that was thrown into a, a lion's den that, that was not harmed and slept with the lions. It's crazy. But while in Babylon, Daniel became a very distinguished servant of the king's court. And in Daniel chapter 9, if you want, you can turn there. We're going to be camping out in Daniel chapter 9 today. So on your, uh, your, your app or your, your paper copy of God's Word, we're going to be in chapter 9. He's calling out to God. Uh, Israel has, has been uh, so against God's principles and living in unrighteousness. And so he's calling out, Lord, forgive us for our disobedience and our rebellion. Would you please have mercy on the nation of Israel? And in response... The angel Gabriel came to him in a vision and tells him some specific details about what is to come. And so we're going to begin in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, beginning with verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, this is Daniel speaking in the first person, confessing my sin and the sin of my, uh, of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord. So again, he's calling out to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, 
So he, apparently he's had some regular visits from the messenger angel. By the way, this is Gabriel, the messenger angel. He came to me in a swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you, begin to, as soon as you began to pray, a word went out. Uh, this is not part of my message, but just kind of a side note that I just caught. Isn't that amazing? As soon as we pray, word goes out. Now, the answer sometimes doesn't reach us immediately, does it? There are other things and factors that, that we had to take into consideration. But it's amazing that even as we pray, word goes out, word goes forth. He hears our prayers, which I have come to tell you. Again, this is Gabriel speaking to Daniel. For you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to, and I, I put these numbers in for you, that's not in your copy, uh, and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So Gabriel comes to Daniel and says, hey, I've, I want to share some news with you. There's going to be 77s that are decreed for the people of Israel. This literally means 70 sets of seven. The Hebrew word here used is Shabuah, which literally means uh, 70 sets of years. It refers to weeks of years or 70 sets of seven. So if you multiply 70 times seven, you get 490 years. So Gabriel, in essence, is saying 490 years have been decreed for the people of Israel. And at the end of 490 years, these six things will have happened. Three things concerning sin, three things concerning righteousness. One, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin. There's coming a day where sin will be no more and we will fully be uh, in right relationship with the Lord. To atone for wickedness. We know that Jesus came, lived a sinless, perfect life, and atoned for wickedness to bring in everlasting righteousness. So one day, Jesus is going to come down, and he's going to make all things righteous and right. We are going to be in right relationship with the Lord. It's going to be awesome. Number five is to seal up vision and prophecy. So at the end of the 490 years, all prophecy will have been fulfilled. And then six, to anoint the most holy one. Yours might say in, in the most holy city. So that, of course, is speaking about Jesus, who's going to be coming down and descending and taking his rightful place on the throne in the holy city, New Jerusalem. Are you following me? Okay. If you need these notes, I'll email them to you, okay? <laughs> Let's move on. Verse 25. Know and understand this. This is still Gabriel speaking to the prophet Daniel. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. So Gabriel is being very specific here to Daniel, talking about the 490 years. He's telling us when the 490 years are going to begin. We just read it. It's going to begin when the word goes forth for the temple, for the city, for the walls of Jerusalem to be rebuilt. 
Now remember, they're in exile. They have been ripped from their homeland. They're in Babylon as captives. And, um, and in Nehemiah chapter two, we see King Artaxerxes. Uh, Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer, by the way. Nehemiah is kind of sad. You don't have to turn to Nehemiah two right now, but if you want, you can check that story out later. He's kind of sad and he says, hey, Nehemiah, what's going on? Well, king, I'm very distraught because my homeland, my city, Jerusalem, has been destroyed. He says, well, how about you go and you fix it? Go rebuild the city. Go re- rebuild the walls. And, and Gabriel is saying, as soon as that word goes forth for Jerusalem to be rebuilt and the temple to be restored and the walls to be rebuilt, that when he gives the green light, that's the moment that the 490 years begin. And he said that it's going to begin, if you remember, we just saw it, it's going to begin with seven sevens. Anybody know what seven times seven is? Times table. 49. Yes, good job. 49 years. Anybody want to take a guess at how long it took to rebuild the wall, to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, to get it fully restored? 49 years. He was accurate in saying that. It took 49 years. And just like Daniel prophesied, he said there'd be some trouble. There'd be times of trouble. And sure enough, there were trouble. We just read that. Sanballat and Tobiah tried to interfere and, and sabotage the rebuilding of the wall. But the city was rebuilt. Okay, then Gabriel says, after the seven sevens, there's going to be 62 sevens. Now, my math isn't that quick, so I had to tally that up. 62 times seven is 434 years. So after that, after that set of 62, the anointed one, that's Jesus, will be put to death. Well, you might want to ask, well, when did that happen? If you take the first seven sevens, that's when the word went forth. Took 49 years to rebuild the wall, the city, the temple to its glory in Jerusalem. The next set of 62 is 434 years. That gets us to 483 years or 69 sets of seven. On March 14, 445 BC, King Artaxerxes told Nehemiah, go back. He decreed, he gave the word, go back and rebuild the city. Well, fast forward centuries, Jesus came. He's the anointed one, remember? He came, he atoned for sin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was crucified, but did it match Daniel's prophecy? So what we need to do is we need to add 483 years from 445 BC. If you add that, you get to April 6, 32 AD. April 6, 32 AD is Palm Sunday. The very first Palm Sunday when, when Jesus came into the streets of Jerusalem, they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes with the Lord. And that was the beginning of his week of passion. That was his journey to the cross. That's incredible accuracy, if you ask me. This Bible is true. It is accurate in what it says. Uh, when Gabriel laid out the timeline, it happened to the day. So that gives us confidence, by the way, that we can trust in God's word. Can I get a better amen, somebody? We can, we can have confidence in the word of God. This is our moral compass. This book is how we live our life. This book is how we raise our family. It's archaeologically uh, true. It's historically true. It's scripturally true. It is the perfect 
word of God that you can build your life on. And this is just one little example of how we can see the word of God and how powerful it is. And it's measurable. It's specific. It's not just full of far out ideas and concepts. It's bona fide and verified truth. That's pretty cool. Let me read that uh, verse uh, again. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. Now, Jesus actually referred to this in Luke 21. If you want, you don't have to turn there. I'll show it to you on the screen. This is what Jesus says now. Some of his disciples began talking about the majestic stonework of the temple. So now we're, we're in Jesus' time. And, and they mentioned the decorations on the walls. But Jesus said, the time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on another. Then Jesus went on in verse 20 through 24 to say, hey, it's going to be terrible. Not only is the temple going to be destroyed, but people are going to lose their lives. That also happened. After Jesus died and was ascended to the Father in A.D. 70, the Roman general Titus invaded the city of Jerusalem, destroyed and raided the temple. Not one stone was left on the, uh, at, at the temple. And then literally over a million Jews were slaughtered and killed at the hands of the Roman general Titus. And then they were scattered. That is a very tragic event, but it fulfilled both Daniel's prophecy and even Jesus himself, his prophecies. So if you're doing the math with me, over, uh, of the 490 years, uh, the 77s, the first 69 sevens, 483 years, have already been fulfilled, leaving seven years. So for almost 2,000 years now, the timeline has been on pause, and we call this the church age. This is the age that we are living in right now. It's where we are supposed to be proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus and going and, and reaching the world for him and making disciples and telling as many people as we can about Jesus before the final seven years, which by the way, is the seven years of tribulation. Are you okay out there? I know this is like a classroom, it's, it's, but hey, I love the word of God. Let's go back to Daniel chapter nine. This is what the next verse says in verse 27. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. This he here is referring to the antichrist. For one seven, one set of seven is seven years. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed and is poured out. So the final seven years resume. The stopwatch begins again when the Antichrist confirms a covenant with Israel. He's going to come, he's going to make a covenant, and it, there's going to be like this kind of rejoicing, actually. People are going to be giving gifts to one another. Isn't this amazing? There's a peace treaty. And by the way, there's some of that are that's kind of happened right now. Isn't that interesting? That's why we're kind of at a tipping point. So this is going to happen, and when this happens, the clock resumes. And this is the final years of, of, uh, of, the, of, the, of the tribulation. Now, in the middle of the seven, he's going to put an end to sacrifice. So he's going to make a treaty with Israel. There's, they're going to actually renew their, the, the practice of, of, of worship and sacrifice. And so he's going to kind of uh, made this deal, but he's going to break that treaty halfway through. 
three and a half years in, he's going to cease that, and he's going to actually declare himself as God and set himself up at the temple. All hell is going to break loose. Uh, there's going to be a, a ceasing of sacrifices and offerings and all of that. All hell is going to break loose. And Jesus refers to this last three and a half years of the tribulation as the great tribulation. And notice Daniel's terminology, the abomination of desolation. In Thessalonians, Paul refers to this as well and gives us some more detail. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be easily disconcerted or alarmed by any spirit or message or letter seeming to be from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has already come. So he's saying, hey, by the way, we're on a pause he hasn't come yet. The final seven years haven't hit. Let no one deceive you in any way, for it will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, Antichrist, the son of destruction, is revealed. He will oppose and exalt himself above every so-called God or object of worship. So he will seat himself in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that I told you these things while I was still with you? And you know that it is now restraining him. What is now restraining him? So that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now restrains it will continue until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will slay. Go Jesus. With the breath of his mouth and annihilate by the majesty of his arrival. So Paul is giving more specifics about this abomination here. And he's saying, notice he said, hey, don't, don't let this disconcert you. Don't get too upset. Don't, this, don't let this overwhelm you. Everything's gonna be all right. Jesus is gonna annihilate the evil one. But before that, the Antichrist is going to break the treaty with Israel and he's gonna set himself up as God in the temple. That means there's gonna be a rebuilt temple, by the way. Did you know that there are already contingency of Jewish people that are trying to rebuild the temple, which has been destroyed since AD 70? Movement is already happening towards the rebuilding of the temple. Now, just like Paul, Jesus spoke about this abomination of desolation too. This is what he said in the book of Matthew chapter 24. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination of desolation described by the prophet of Daniel... So he's hearkening back to the prophet 400 years. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop come down to retrieve anything from his house. And let no one in the field return for his cloak. How miserable those days will be for pregnant and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not occur in winter or on the Sabbath. For at that time there will be great tribulation, unmatched from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be seen again. If those days had not been cut short, nobody would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So things are going to be so bad, Jesus said, that had the days not been cut short, everybody would have been wiped out. Now, when we read this, we can tend to be, whoa, this is scary stuff. This, is, this makes me anxious. This makes me fearful and all of that. Here's the thing. Take a deep breath because as believers, we are not going to be here for this. We are not going to be able, we are not going to be allowed to live in the great tribulation. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul is trying to uh, talk about the end times with people. He says, therefore, encourage 
one another with these words. Other versions say, comfort one another with these words. This should not bring you fear and anxiety. You can rest easy tonight knowing that you are going to be in the presence of the Lord. Now, we, we aren't going to go through the great tribulation. Of course, we're going to go through hard times. Some of you are in a hard time right now. I get that, but it will be nothing compared to the great tribulation. And while it shouldn't cause you fear, it should cause a sense of urgency, not only for your walk with the Lord, but for your loved ones, for your family members that need to know about Jesus while there's still time. So you don't have to be rattled or distressed. Be comforted because we aren't going to be here. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord. Well, how do you know that for sure? How do you know that we're not going to live in the tribulation? Some people say that we are. Some say that we're in the tribulation right now. Some say that we're going to have to live through half the tribulation or all of the tribulation. So how do you know? Well, scripture tells us, there's multiple scriptures that tell us, tells us, I want to show you what Jesus himself had to say about this. In Luke chapter 17, he said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the son of man. People were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So what Jesus is saying here is the Lord is not going to allow or let his children go through the great tribulation. Back with Noah, he sealed up the ark. He said, you're safe now. Now I can release my wrath on the earth. And sure enough, the earth was destroyed. Same thing in the days of Lot. He, there was such wickedness in Sodom and in Gomorrah that he had to destroy. God takes sin seriously. And he had had enough. But he said, before we do that, I'm going to rescue my servant Lot. And the, and the moment he was rescued is when wrath came out from the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? So the moment that Jesus comes and raptures his church is the same moment that his wrath, he's going to be executing judgment for those that are here on the earth. Business is going to be going on as usual. There's going to be marrying and, and, and people are going to be buying and selling and, and all of that stuff. It's going to be a day kind of like today. And all of a sudden, we're going to be gone. It's pretty incredible to think about. Now, God is a just God. He can only allow so much evil to take place before executing his judgment. He takes sin seriously. But if you follow Jesus, if you choose to walk with him, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about receiving the wrath of God because you have been made right with him and you're gonna be in the presence of the Lord. And honestly, God is a good God. He does take sin seriously, but I believe he has delayed the return of Jesus to give more time for more people to become and, and, and rescued. It's his will, scripture says, that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart. We have a loving father who desperately wants to be restored to his people who are far from him. That's the reason I believe that he's delayed the rapture. It's his will that everyone come to repentance. He is a good and faithful God. He's slow to anger and quick to love, actually. But please know, he could come back today. He could come back tomorrow, next week, next year, if he so chooses. That's up to him. So for us, for now, we are going to plan as if he's coming back in a long time. We're going to live our lives. We're going to be all of that stuff, but we're going to live as if he's going to come back today. Are you with me, everybody? Are you with me, somebody? Amen. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be awesome. 
And I know this is a little bit different, kind of a, a little redirection from the book of James. But listen, we, want, we don't want you to be uninformed, is what Paul said. We want you to be equipped with good information and knowledge, not to bring you fear and anxiety, but to put within you hope and anticipation. Because we have a good God who's going to send his son, Jesus, and we're going to be caught up in the middle of the air to meet him. And so we don't have to fear. In fact, it's actually very exciting that we could be living in the generation that ushers the return of the Lord. That's a pretty incredible thought. So right there in your seats, I just want to ask you to, for a quick moment, bow your heads, close your eyes. There is coming a day when there's not going to be any more of this wicked unrighteousness. There's going to be coming a day with no more COVID, no more death, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more hospitals, none of that. No more fear, no more, no more anxiety. There's coming a day. And it could be happening very soon. God knows when it's going to happen. He not only knows, he is the author of the future. He knows the plans because he made the plans. But here's the thing. You need to know with certainty that you're going to be ready to meet him when he comes. Because he is coming. You don't want to be left behind. This is not meant to scare you. But it's meant to, to kind of give you a, a nudge to invite Jesus into your heart. So right now, the Spirit of God, I believe he's been working on your heart. If that's you, and you want to say yes to Jesus, you're not quite sure if he were to come back today that you'd meet him. Maybe you're a little fearful that you'd be left behind. If that's you, and you want to know that you know, would you just be so bold? No one's looking around. Would you just lift your hand for a moment and hold it there? Thank you, sweetie. Yes, ma'am. Yes, I see your hand. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Here's what we're going to do. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, just want you to repeat this prayer after me. Everybody together out loud say, Dear Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. I ask you to forgive me my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for my salvation. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you said that prayer and you meant it, you made it a commitment to follow the Lord. Now, that's just the first step. There's nothing magical about that prayer. Now, you have to make a commitment to follow Jesus every day. It doesn't mean you're going to live a perfect, sinless life. None of us are perfect. But it means that we are going to try our very best to follow the Lord, the principles in his word. So if you said that prayer, let us know on that connection card. Leave it on the seat. We'll collect it. We want to help you on your next steps. If you're joining us online, make sure to let us know. There's an online connection card on our website, calvarymd.com. Hey, for the rest of us, I want you to leave this place rejoicing. So can we all stand together? And the team is going to lead us in a wonderful praise uh, song of worship. There's nothing better than Jesus. Do you believe that, everybody? Come on, let's sing it out now.